Although we can't go back in time, we can reflect on our past experiences and learn from them. But wouldn't it be so amazing if we could? If you could, what would you tell yourself? This is Letters to My Younger Self. I'm Liz Gardner. Join me as we talk with some of my favorite people about their life stories and how they've learned and how we can become a little better by hearing their incredible stories. Dear Younger Talise, if I were to give you some advice, trust in the process and always enjoy the journey. And while you're doing it, make sure you smile all the time and be confident in yourself and what you have to offer other people. Make sure you're kind to all because kindness is what will change the world. And P.S. Make sure you start saving and always order dessert. (laughs) I like it. That's good advice. This week on the podcast, we have Talise Bois. And if you haven't listened to her mom's episode, make sure you go back and listen to Elsa. This is the first time on the podcast I've done a two-part story. I wanted to get her mom's perspective of receiving a kidney, and then I wanted Talisa's perspective of giving a kidney and what that was like. And she shares about the whole process of deciding to give her mom a kidney and the recovery and everything. This happened not too long ago, just six weeks ago, she gave a kidney and her mom was also able to receive a different kidney. Talise is hilarious, she's friendly, she's super thoughtful. The first time I had met her, she was asking what I could do for her and she had just come home from recovering from surgery. She is always so mindful of other people and one of the things that I love about our interview is she talks about showing kindness to other people. A lot of people have been able to serve her and help her during this process and she talks about different experiences in her life and how people have showed her kindness and how it has made such a huge difference. I feel like things are pretty crazy right now in the world with coronavirus and school shutting down and there's so much unknown going on in our lives and I think it's easy to panic and get in this lockdown mode and hunker down and make sure we have enough food and prepare but I also think that the world needs us to keep looking out for each other and loving each other and doing the simple things that help people to be happy. And so I hope that this podcast can be a little breath of fresh air away from the news and all the crazy stuff that's going on. And I hope you all stay safe and have a good week. Thanks so much for being on the podcast. I'm so excited to have you here. Thanks for having me. (laughs) I'm so grateful for this podcast because my mother-in-law told me about your mom and you and really the conversation about the podcast was how I met you and found out that you only live 10 minutes away from me. (laughs) Here I am. Here you are. Super close. I know. Oh, and I didn't tell you this earlier, but I got a phone call from... My friend Caitlin Johnson, yes. and she said, "How do you know the Du Bois?" Wow, she's like, she's one of my best friends. Such a small, small world. world. <laughs> We've met your mom mm. via the podcast, yeah. all the listeners, and she's so charming and wonderful. Tell us. What big lessons you've learned from growing up with your mom? Um, So I'm sure you guys probably could tell. My mom has a really fun personality. So she's taught me quite a bit. So some like funny and some pretty serious. We always joke that one of my favorite stories about my mom, I remember her telling me that she thinks she looks like Michelle Pfeiffer. And I don't know if you guys know who Michelle Pfeiffer is, but she's like this blonde lady. And hopefully you saw the picture of my mom, but she's the furthest person from Michelle Pfeiffer. <laughs> but that's what she she's always said. I feel like I look like Michelle Pfeiffer. And the meaning behind it was is that it didn't matter what anybody else thought of her or how other people like perceived her. It was all about what she thought about herself. And that was the most important thing is that she had confidence in who she was and what other people thought about her didn't matter. And so that was probably one of like, as a young Talise, that was a big thing for me is to know that like my mom had that confidence in who she was. And then I think another big thing that my mom taught me was to be independent and just be like a strong woman. I think she's one of the greatest examples of 
just if she has a goal or if she wants to learn about something, she wants to do something, she goes and does it and she doesn't let people stop her. I just always remember her making things to sell or the woman knows so much about British monarchy, which is so funny. <laughs> I forgot that about her, but she's... <laughs> she's like this little Filipino lady who could tell you all about the British monarchy. And it's just because she has this drive to learn and just to be able to be knowledgeable and to talk to it. And so, and then another great thing that I think my mom's taught me is just to laugh and to enjoy life. Obviously, like when I was able to go to the Philippines... And we've been there multiple times, like as younger kids, but as we've gotten old, as I've gotten older, I've kind of like understood and like put it all together, why she is the way she is. But she comes from a place where they're just happy people and they enjoy life and they enjoy simple things. And so my mom's taught me to just enjoy the simple things in life and make sure you're laughing along the way. Well, I can't think of a better life lessons, right? And you think about growing up as a woman, being confident and not based off of externally or basing your confidence off of what people think of you, but you just having confidence and loving yourself is one of the most important things I think you could teach someone. Absolutely. And uh, it'll get you a long way too, like with people and careers and and everything you do, I think. Yeah. Anyways, so yeah. Well, and I think people are attracted to that. I think mm. people really want to be around people who are comfortable in their own skin. Agreed. Agreed. So, awesome. Well, way to go, Mama. Mama Du Bois. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so tell us about your childhood growing up in Minnesota. What was that like? Yeah. So I like love Minnesota. For those who come and like encounter me like I bleed Minnesota and I will try to convert everybody it's just a great place even though it's cold in the winters there's just always something fun to do there the people are so kind especially like when we're all out I think we just enjoy being outside and after a long winter and so everyone's just like willing to say hi to one another and me and my brothers we just had a really great childhood in Minnesota growing up there having friends close by again always just going out riding our bikes so I think it was just a pretty wholesome place to grow up. That's fun. My sister-in-law and brother-in-law, they did a graduate program in Minnesota. Oh. And so they came to visit us when we were in Chicago. And they were like, oh, you have grass. It's been <laughs> frozen for so much longer. And so I felt like I was thinking that it was so cold. We were having such a bad winter, but Minnesota was actually colder. Colder. Chicago, so. <laughs> it makes you appreciate the spring that much more. Yes. Yes. That's awesome. So I know your mom talked about your experience going to the Philippines mm. and you said that you've gone a few times. Can you tell us about that experience and what that was like for you? Yeah. So like I said, like as young kids, we always kind of went. I remember going a couple, several times. Again, as a younger child, I think we were like 6, 12. And then just most recently, I went as an adult. I think that trip was... I was pretty grateful to be able to have that trip. I had been going through a lot of things in my life at that point. A lot of life-changing events. One particularly, like my mom talked about, one of my best friends from college had passed away recently at that time from cystic fibrosis. It was really hard for me to process, you know, having the knowledge that I have and you know, what happens after this life was comforting, but at the same time, like it was really hard for me to lose somebody that, you know, you talk to all the time. And so the opportunity that I had to go to the Philippines, you know, take time away from work and go visit, taught me a lot more than I ever expected that it would. And, uh, I think I would probably categorize it as like a life-changing trip because of the people that I met and the experiences that I had there. Yeah. Well, what happened to change your life there? So I think, so as we were there, I was able to meet a lot of different people through different activities that we we were doing, traveled to a couple of different other places, especially like in those events, the people that I met there, they were kind without even knowing who I was, where I came from. Friendships that like even still today, this is about five, six years ago that we still keep in contact. One in particular event that, or yeah, event that happened is that we were out on this island. It was just me and actually a friend had come out and visited or came out with me. And 
we were just out. It was an island trip. And this family was with us on the boat. And they're like, what are you guys doing tonight? Do you guys just want to come have dinner with us? They didn't know who we were. They didn't know our stories. They didn't know anything. I guess they thought we were pretty safe and, like, <laughs> normal. But they invited us you to... You don't strike me as someone who looks like an unsafe, intimidating <laughs> person. Dangerous person. Yes. <laughs> okay, good. You don't have a dangerous face, you okay, know? Good. <laughs> It just was so impressive to me that they would invite a stranger um, to, to join their family vacation and have dinner. They paid for dinner in this beautiful hotel, beautiful restaurant. Were they from the Philippines? Or? So they were from the Philippines. They were from obviously the island. They were traveling to the island for vacation as well. So they weren't there as like residents, but as visitors as well. And so, but yeah, they were Filipino, this Filipino family that just was so kind and it made me realize that kindness is for everyone. Like you don't have to, I guess you don't have to like filter it. Like you can be kind to anyone you come encounter with and, and the impact of that family, they probably will never know that impact that they had, but kindness goes a long ways. And again, it's kind of changed my whole outlook on how we treat people and like the effect of being kind to one another. Yeah, I feel like especially when you're in a time where your heart is breaking mm-hmm. and you're you're very vulnerable and sad or just going through something, little things feel so much bigger because you're kind of empty and you need that kindness to fill you up and you kind of need people to support you and help you. And so it means mm-hmm. all the more... Not that when you're having a great day and your life's all in order (laughs) and you're like, I'm fine. We're good. We're happy. But I don't know. It just seems like you kind of almost crave it more because you're in a down, just like hard place. Yeah. And it kind of goes to, you know, what people always say, like, you never know what someone's going through. I don't think that they knew that my best friend had just passed away or that I had been struggling with other parts of my life. They just were being kind because that's who they were. So yeah. You never know what people are going through, but the at that moment, that's exactly what I needed. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. neat. And I also think that you never really have moments where you're super kind to someone that you're like, oh, I shouldn't have done that. <laughs> I'm so mad. I was so nice. <laughs> that's very true. That was the worst thing I ever did. How, how dare I? <laughs> so can you tell us about the experience of your mom getting sick and how you felt when you first found out that she was sick. It was definitely a surprise to everyone due to her like past medical history. We thought her fatigue all had to do with her, her thyroid. And I actually had driven out or driven out to go help them move. And so we were driving across country and I think we joke because I pretty much did the drive by myself because she was asleep the whole time. And, and again, I, we just thought it was her medis- medications that needed to be adjusted. Mm-hmm. And so I didn't really think anything of it. But luckily, they were able to get the diagnosis rather quickly. And and luckily, because of the situation or where I was at in my life, I was able to be right there in Arizona with them. So I could go up and visit her at the hospital and make sure that she was, you know, Maybe it was more of a peace of mind for me to be up there, but it came at a huge surprise. And then to know that she was in complete kidney failure, it was something that you never expect to happen to your own family or to yeah. your to your mom. And so I think it caught us off guard. But at the same time, I don't think there was ever a doubt in my mind. It was almost like a, a diagnosis that I welcomed because I knew that there was going to be a solution and I knew that there was going to be something that we could do to help her get over yeah. this or, dare I say, cure it. Yeah. Sometimes you think like, oh, you're too young for this to start <laughs> happening, you know? Like, how can your kidneys already be failing? Yeah. I will say, I feel like I have always grown up around, like, medical issues. I don't even know if that's even issues is the proper term to use. But, again, my dad had worked for the Mayo Clinic, so we were kind of always around, like, the medical field. My mom had several surgeries, my dad had surgeries, and so it wasn't completely foreign for me to be in the hospital, and it wasn't necessarily foreign for me to kind of flip the switch and take that, like, care caregiver, I wasn't even a caregiver, like a caring mentality. Again, because I think I just was a little, I was accustomed to it, and, and maybe, dare I say, like, prepared, I think mentally a little bit prepared for 
being in that situation of maybe receiving another diagnosis. Again, her being so young, I don't think I was expecting it to be that grave of a diagnosis, but glad that it was such because I knew that transplant or dialysis or whatever the solution was, was a, was a possibility. Yeah. That's, that, that is a good, like positive way to think of it that it's not, Mm -hmm. there's a solution to this. It's not something that can't be fixed, at least in the near term. Yeah. So when did you first decide that you wanted to give your mom a kidney? (laughs) My mom is really like kind and very uh, passive in her response to this on her episode because I think from the moment we got the diagnosis, I knew that that, whether it was me or my brothers that were going to donate a kidney so that, again, because she was in complete failure, kidney failure, we knew that, I, I think in my heart, I knew transplant was inevitable. And so whether it was me or my brothers, I knew that was the path that we were going to go down it. It was just a matter of who would qualify and who yeah. would like be able to do it, right? So I think straight off the bat, again, there was no question that transplant was going to be the outcome of, of the situation that we were put in. So I don't think my mom or even my dad were super wild about the idea of us donating. And so as she said, we had to talk through it quite a bit. And we had to weigh out the options and, and I we had to understand one another and where we were both coming from because I understood where she was coming from and in the fact that she was a mom wanting to make sure her kids were whole. And we, especially my brother Alex, you know, he made a very good point in that as kids, we wanted to make sure that we did everything so that she was there for us, but also my brothers have kids. And, and so they wanted them, my parents to be my mom, to be there for her, their kids, you know? And so we just needed to make sure that we were talking about it and looking at both sides of the, of the coin. It was never a question that we would do everything possible for us to make sure the transplant happened. Yeah. And I feel like this is new for me learning about live donation. You know, I obviously knew that people had done that Mm. and I looked up some statistics because I was just curious And it was saying that living kidney donation is the best possible outcome because if you, the kidney lasts like twice as long. And so if someone passes away, the kidney will last about 10 years, they said. The living donor kidneys last about 20 years, which is a huge difference. (laughs) But then it also was saying that there are 122,000 people on the waiting list 83% need a kidney. You know, they have lungs, hearts, intestines, liver, pancreas, but they're a small percentage (laughs) of what people need. And kidneys are kind of hot commodities. Hot commodities, (laughs) you know? It's funny. And so, but they were saying that there's not enough people that are dying Mm. that are donating kidneys. So they said for every one organ donor, there are eight people on the waiting list. So it's kind of like your mom didn't really have the option to wait for somebody somebody else. And so if she was going to live, she needed somebody to donate a kidney. Yeah. And I and again, I didn't know a whole lot about like dialysis and the process. The only thing that I knew about dialysis is is what your arm looked like afterwards. And it was just because of the veins and the number of times that they have to poke you. I just knew that they your arm gets a battering and just the 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 veins are really lumpy and so that was like the only thing I knew and I could only imagine my mom having to go through that I didn't want her to have to go through all of that for very long yeah if there was a way to get a living kidney for her I think we all wanted that option yeah going back to dialysis don't they have to go like four three or four times a week and then it's for like multiple hours right yeah so because my mom was in complete kidney failure meaning both of her kidneys were not functioning she had to go three times a week and again you know you're sacrificing a lot traveling to visit grandkids to travel to help me move things like that were travel was very difficult because she had to make sure she was always there for her her dialysis there had to be a change in life the pace of life because of because she had to take care of 
her kidney, her take care of herself. Yeah. <laughs> well, and knowing your mom too, she's very involved in everybody's lives and mm. wants to be there. And I can, I can only imagine her around the grandkids. I'm sure it was really hard for her to, yeah. to have to do that. And she, anytime she's been around my kids, she's darling with them <laughs> and they're just all eating out of the palm of her hand, like literally and figuratively. <laughs> she is so cute with them and she's got such a charming personality. And sure. so I'm sure that and so do you. They, they take after your mother. <laughs> so, um, but you talked about how you were kind of weighing the options. Can you tell us about your decision process and, and what kind of research you did to, to make mm-hmm. this decision? Yeah. I don't know if there was much of a process to making the decision. I think, and I tell this to everyone that I come in, like, in contact with, if you were ever put into a situation where your mom or your sister or your kid needed a kidney, I think you would do everything and you would jump on the, you would put your name on the list right away too. And so I, I don't necessarily think there was much of a decision. It was more of like a qualification. If I could qualify to make sure that I could donate my kidney, if I was in a place, if my health was in a place that I could do that. Yeah. And so the decision process was really quick. It was can I do it? Am I in the position to do it? Will work allow me to take time off for the surgery and recovery? Am I in their position financially? And I was able to check all those boxes, you know, to be able to put myself into this position to to donate. And then the process of, of getting qualified, I guess, that probably took longer, I suppose. Whether that was getting tested, getting tested to be a donor, and then whether or not we were a match to my mom. And so that was probably the more, I guess if you were to say between the decision and the process of actually qualifying was the more difficult part. I don't even know. (laughs) What do you have to do to qualify? Is it hard to... To qualify? To be on the list of qualifications? I don't, I don't think it would, I don't think the, it's necessarily hard to qualify, but I think that there are definitely statistics that you need to meet so you have to be at a certain weight your blood pressure your cholesterol all of your essentially like your physical outcomes like your annual physical outcomes need to be checking out like you're a healthy person and this was the interesting thing about donation is that they say that people who donate their kidneys are able to recover and become as healthy as anybody else in the general population. And that's a result of you having to qualify to become a donor. You have to be so healthy in order to donate your kidney that by the end of you, even if you're losing a kidney, you're still going to be in that state of being such a healthy person that you're going to be able to live just a normal life. So when I heard that statistic, you know, that there wasn't going to be down the road in my future, there really weren't a lot of consequences for me to give up a kidney because in reality if I continue to keep my health the way I had in in preparation or allowing to me to even qualify to donate I could live just like anybody else in the general population so again you have to meet all these qualifications for me I had to lose some weight so that was like a huge focus for me obviously you had to make sure that your kidneys were functioning properly blood pressure was a big one and make sure that you don't have high blood pressure as that's um, directly impacts your kidneys. So those were the big qualifications to even just be considered. Um, Obviously no past medical history like cancer or any other autoimmune diseases like one of my brothers was was not able to even be considered because he has an autoimmune disease. So little things like that but then once you're able to then qualify then you go through the blood testing make sure that you're the same blood type and then in addition to blood type, you have to be a tissue t- tissue type match. Okay. And that's where me and my mom, even though we're the same blood type, we were different tissue types. So I was healthy enough and I qualified to be a donor, but I couldn't give my kidney directly to my mom. And so I wasn't an exact match for her. Did that make you feel sad that your actual kidney wasn't going to her? Mm, good question. It didn't. I don't think it made me sad because... For me, at the end of the day, it didn't matter where my kidney was going. It didn't matter because I knew my mom was going to be getting one. So if I gave, I knew that she was going to be getting. And so that's all that mattered at the end of the day. Yeah. I think that I had a really hard time as we came up to surgery date. A lot of people like were praising me that, you know, I was saving my mom's life. And I was really the only person that mattered because... 
it's only because of me that my mom could get a kidney and you know I was the only donor but I had a hard time hearing those types of things because my kidney was changing somebody else's life and somebody else's kidney was changing my mom's life and so there's multiple people that are involved in this process yeah and it's not just me and my mom that are reaping the benefits or blessings there's a lot of people that are and and I can't I couldn't be more grateful for other people's sacrifices and their preparation. And I would hope that they would feel the same towards me, I guess. Yeah. Um, I hope that they're grateful that I was able to be able to be in a position to donate because I'm just as grateful for that one person who was able to donate their kidney to my mom. Yeah. That's, I hope that makes sense. Yeah, that totally makes sense. Well, I feel like I've been so fascinated by this process, and mm. all of a sudden my brain is like, wow, so how do they actually take a kidney out of your body? So I was watching like this YouTube video today. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm not very like medically, you know. I don't even have a word. That's how not medically. <laughs> I'm like, I'm not medically, uh, what's the word? Anyways, and I was just like watching this and it was, they were showing how they clip each of the veins, the whole process of how they have to do all of it. And I was just thinking, you know, who on earth came up with the idea uh, of like, hey, this person's dying or died yeah, and let's take this organ and put it in this other person's body and sew it together and see if it works <laughs> you know it's incredible it's so incredible and that now that they've gotten it down to much a perfect science yeah of being able to to figure all that out modern medicine is really incredible yeah and it's such a blessing to think of you know if this would have happened to your mom I don't even know how many years ago because it's not we don't even have to say a hundred years ago yeah we could even say 15 years ago that you know her chances of survival weren't quite what they are now and and also it was saying that kidney donation has become a lot more common because it's a lot better for the donor because of I'm not exactly sure why <laughs> but, but I think they were talking about the way that they do the incisions and different things like that yeah it helps with your longevity for your life and things like that whereas before they made it sound like maybe we were, were put in jeopardy too <laughs> <laughs> that's just the way that it sounded to me but um, I will say that like it is incredible how and I can talk more about this but just like my recovery I think in the moment after surgery I struggled a lot but in hindsight you I look back on it and think like I'm at week six now after recovery and it's even at week three or four after surgery, I am amazed at how well I was doing after having an organ removed for me. Like it's, in, it's amazing to me that even though I may have been in pain or not moving around very well, like I had an organ removed and yet I'm still doing this well. So yeah. to your point, like modern medicine and what the medical in world has done and how far they've come is I couldn't be more grateful, especially being in this seat now. Yeah, yeah. that's really incredible. Your mom kept telling me like she knew what she was getting herself into <laughs> and she did a lot of research. So, I mean, what was that process like of kind of, uh, I watched a lot of YouTube videos. <laughs> I, I like to say that I'm just kidding, but I did because I think in addition to kind of understanding what the kidney does, like the impact of removing a single kidney, I'm not married right now. And so like I was concerned about like if I if I get the chance to be married and have my own family, how is that going to affect me having kids? So I did all of like my research on kind of like, again, how is this going to impact my life if I continued and was I willing to take those risks or take on, you know, those possible outcomes? Side note, having one kidney doesn't affect type, those types of things. Like, I'll be able to have, you know, God willing, like, be able to conceive and have kids just like any normal person. Obviously, you have to be a little bit more cautious, and I might get to wear one of those really beautiful medical bracelets, you know, saying I only have one kidney. But really, at the end of the day, I will be able to function just like any normal person and any normal woman, you know. So, aside from all the medical research that I did I also watched a lot of like donor experiences and mm -hmm. just like how they felt after the the surgery this was my first surgery ever in my life and so 
I was really concerned about like what I'd say after I came out of anesthesia or like how I, what would come out of my mouth. Um, but more so just like what type of pain people had and how they felt, how long the recovery was for them. And so that was a lot of like my research. And I am so grateful for those people who do like share their stories and for you giving me the opportunity to maybe share my story because I think that's what helped me a lot to kind of prepare myself. Like, what am I, what am I going to face? What are my challenges that I'll be facing? Or what can I look forward to? Yeah. So did you say anything crazy when you came out of the anesthesia? <laughs> I think that I was a crier. <laughs> I was like, I don't think I said anything crazy. I remember requesting to listen to Pavarotti afterwards, <laughs> but that was it. I don't think I said, no one has told me that I said anything crazy. So I broke my nose when I was in fourth grade and they ended up having to do surgery. (gasps) I'm in a fourth grader and so the anesthesiologist came in and was, so do you have a boyfriend? And I was like, ooh, no. (laughs) And so he's like, I think you do. I'm going to guess what your boyfriend's name is. And so he went through and was, you know, saying all these names. And I was like, no, no. And then I just passed out. And I didn't remember anything. But then the doctors, who's Bobby? (laughs) And he had said the name Bobby. And there was a kid named Bobby in my class. And so I kept saying, no, not Bobby. No, not Bobby. Like, through the surgery. You were exposed, Liz. (laughs) I was exposed. No, I was like, no. (laughs) I was like, I promise I don't like him. Anyways. Anesthesia. It's a legitimate worry or concern. Yeah, yeah. you can, you know, you never know. Your your innermost secrets might come out. It's true. There's always those funny things that Ellen will post or whatever. Yeah, people saying hilarious things and. I uh, I was genuinely concerned, (laughs) but I passed. You were pretty thorough. Yeah. So, tell us about your actual operation day and how you were feeling going into the operating room and that whole process. I think that my preparation helped me be very calm going into the process. And so my mom had her surgery a week before I had my surgery. So my mom had gone through, had gone through the whole process already. Right. So we'd been at the hospital. She was already home by the time that I had to go into the hospital for my surgery. And so my aunt was actually my caregiver. So my dad was taking care of my mom and my aunt Leslie was able to come and take care of me. And so Everyone was just, I think everyone was waiting for me to be nervous or concerned. And I just was pretty calm. I think, (laughs) again, like the things that I worried about, I was more concerned about the laxatives that I had to take before (laughs) surgery and how I was going to manage that than I was actually going into surgery. So I don't think that's like a a (laughs) non-legitimate concern. You're like, what's going to happen if I take this laxative? Like, that could be embarrassing. Right. (laughs) They like put the bottle of laxatives. I was like, that's for me? So it was really calm. I was really calm about going in there. I asked all the questions ahead of time. I felt like I was very prepared going into it. I think that it probably helped too that I was in the hospital with my mom. And so anything that I had concerns about or questions about, I could sit there and Asked the surgeons as they were checking in on my mom. Things like that. So going in, I felt pretty comfortable. And and I was out like a light. I remember talking to the doctors. And next thing you know, I was listening to Pavarotti. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. This has happened also recently. And you're Mm -hmm. literally recovering as we speak. Mm -hmm. Tell us about what the recovery process has been like. So despite all of my research and my attempt to prepare myself, all of my YouTube videos that I watched and donor experiences that I read about. I don't know if I was prepared for what I went through. Again, this being my first surgery, I probably could say I don't have a huge or a high pain tolerance. Things were a lot more painful than I had thought or I had expected it to be. Now granted, I had just seen my mom go through surgery, come out of surgery, and she did amazing. I don't know if she said this in her episode, but she wasn't. She didn't even take pain meds after she came out of surgery. She just was so good, and she felt better. You could tell she was eating. Her appetite was back. And so I knew that I wasn't going to be perfect coming out of surgery, but I didn't think that I was going to be that She set a different hard. standard, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And at one point, I had my surgeon remind me that my mom was sick when she went into surgery and came out healthy. 
I went in healthy and came out not necessarily sick, but I came out one less organ. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so recovery was a lot harder in the fact that I, being a very independent person, quickly realized that I couldn't do anything by myself and that I did need to ask for a lot of help. Yeah. I couldn't drive uh, for four weeks. I couldn't even push a shopping cart. That is so long. It's so long. <laughs> and especially you living by yourself. Yeah. You know, you live by yourself. You... Think of how many times you go to the store or just go in the car for a whole month without driving. Yeah. I can't imagine my life right now trying to feel, and you feel stuck, you know, Mm -hmm. if you can't, or people have to take you everywhere. Yeah. I'll tell you, I have a picture on my phone taken with my iPad because I had dropped my phone on the floor. And again, I was home by myself, (laughs) dropped the phone on the floor. I couldn't bend over and I sent the picture to my brother and I said, this is a kidney donor's worst nightmare because I couldn't pick up my phone without using my feet or like shuffling it towards a wall and trying to shimmy it up. And so it's little tasks like that that really were a lot more difficult than I thought. Even just taking a shower or washing my hair, it put me down for the rest of the day. So. I mean, it took me two weeks to get to a point where I started feeling more myself, but in the moment, it it seemed like, again, being an independent person, very used to doing things for myself, it felt like forever. Yeah. Well, I told one of my friends that I was doing this interview, Mm -hmm. and she's a nurse, and so I'll probably butcher this, but she was trying to explain to me why it's so much harder to give a kidney than to receive one. And she was kind of talking, she talked about what you were saying with your mom's not feeling well. Uh-huh. She's she's kind of like used to not feeling well at all. And then all of a sudden she has this kidney. And it's really incredible that it starts working so fast. Yeah. And you're able to feel so much better. But they, the process of actually taking the kidney out of your body... They have to move some of your organs around in order to take it out. That's my technical term. I, I wish we had my friend on here making it sound better than me, but maybe layman's Insert. terms will help people to understand. But basically, it's just a lot harder on your body physically taking it out versus she made it sound like when you put it in, you just kind of stick it in. <laughs> Not that you plug it in. It's just like, plug that baby in. But then taking yours out causes more shift in your body and so that your actual recovery process not to mention your body has to adjust to not having a kidney but then just all of that other stuff is just rough you know yeah it's funny because that was one question that I asked the surgeons I said so what happens with all that empty space like what's gonna go on there I can't play football anymore you know sad but <laughs> really never? just well just like contact sports you can't play anymore never for the rest of your life to be honest with you I didn't go into it because I wasn't planning on it anyways <laughs> <laughs> they but it, it was interesting because for the first several weeks and it's probably only been probably the last week that things have started to settle but they described it and I would concur it's this sloshing feeling that you can feel your organs moving as I rolled in and out of bed just Weird. trying to to settle and find its new places because of that empty space and so again one of those things that thinks a lot youtubers like <laughs> no one told me about that feeling so it's those little things that um, I've encountered that well, just for the record, now it's on the podcast, so anyone who's giving a kidney, they have your testimonial that if you give a kidney, there might be some sloshing. That's right. That's right, exactly. Not to like, make light of it or, or anything, right? But it's real. <laughs> the sloshing is real. It is. Oh, wow. I mean, those are things you just don't even yep. think about. Right? Mm-hmm. It's the little things. Again, don't get me wrong, my mom's recovery... She's had to go through a recovery process too. Maybe just a little bit different. Her incision is significantly larger than my incision. And so she, you know, she has her own challenges. But again, coming from my perspective, I thought I was going to be back at work after two and a half weeks. And yeah. there's no way, even just like the fatigue of it all. But I, I just want to emphasize that in hindsight, things are 
like it, it's incredible how fast I've recovered. Yeah. So if you could go back in time, I mean, I know that you've only been recovering six weeks. Like the day after you have your surgery and you feel you <laughs> are on your deathbed <laughs> and you could give yourself advice to that person, Please. you yeah. know, clear back six weeks ago, what do you think you'd say? Be patient with yourself. I think I expected a lot out of myself when I came out of surgery and so I would tell myself post-surgery immediately just be patient with yourself and be willing to accept help because I think I downplayed my recovery to a lot of my friends and acquaintances and family. I don't think anybody knew including myself how hard it was going to be and so I think a lot of people tried to relate to me and I know my mom referenced that I kept saying, like, this isn't an appendectomy. I think people were trying to be empathetic towards me and, and what I was going through. And in the moment, again, it, set, it seemed like such an absurd thing for someone to try to, like, relate to me with having an appendectomy. But I think along with just being patient with yourself, just realizing that people are just trying to be kind and trying to be nice and trying to take care of me and... and, and be open and willing to accept that help and, and kindness. Yeah. I think it's a good lesson, though. I think I was telling you earlier, I ran into this lady at the gym. We were talking about twins, and she said that people will say to her, oh, I had kids that were 12 months apart. It's pretty much just the same as twins. I know what it's like to have twins. And she was like, you do not know what it's like to have twins. That's It's not the same. You know, if, I think naturally we want to relate to people mm -hmm. or just, Say something that might be comforting, but I think it's a good reminder that if it's not there, you can at least just have empathy for the person <laughs> and not try to downplay what happened to them, yeah. you know, because, and I think you can see that in lots of different situations. I think it translates over. It's better to just show love and compassion instead of trying to relate when it doesn't. Try to insert yourself into your situation. I'm yeah. like, oh, not really. Yeah. As part of my recovery, I started going back to the gym just to like walk on the treadmill and stuff. And at my gym, it's like an upstairs and a downstairs. So I had to walk up the stairs, which when I first went, it was probably the first time that I had walked up and down stairs. And so I was walking up the stairs extremely gingerly. And I probably looked like an 80 year old woman trying to get up on the <laughs> stairs. But it was, again, a complete stranger who stopped me and said, are you okay? Can I help you? Um, and it was just that little piece of kindness that she didn't try to, like, relate to me or, you know, tell me about her past surgeries or whatever. But she just was being kind and, and asking and offering to help me when she knew I was maybe not getting up the stairs with ease. And so I think just kindness goes a lot farther than people realize especially when you're in a situation like this and well and I think that's a good reminder because we all don't have an opportunity to donate an organ every day but each and every day we have the opportunity to show kindness and not just mm -hmm. to of course we have you know our families and like people that we have interactions with every day but like, sometimes it's just a stranger and making sure that we look outside of ourselves in order to be able to extend that kindness. I've found that sometimes I get a little too plugged in when I'm going grocery shopping or things like that and I have my headphones in, I'm listening to an audiobook <laughs> or I'm talking to someone on the phone and, and you're just kind of, we almost like multitask so much that you might not be able to have a conversation with somebody because you're like, I'm busy. <laughs> <laughs> and so I think doing things like that really does make a big difference. Goes a long ways, yeah, for sure. I feel like Texans are good examples of oh, doing that. Most definitely. And uh, I couldn't be in a better place in my life right now. They're just so kind. So kind and without having to even know your story. Yeah, I love that. You talked about how it was kind of hard for you to accept help from others. What have you learned about that? People need people. So at the end of the day, uh, we all need people in our lives. And so I think that by allowing people in and allowing people to like help you, <laughs> it makes a world of difference. I think through this whole process, I've had so many people reach out and be willing to, you know, to help me with whether that's getting groceries. I had a friend fly out 
to Utah so that she could fly home to Texas with me. I have, I've had people, it is so amazing the generosity of people and for someone who's so independent and so reluctant to um, let people see your weaknesses and to be extremely vulnerable, it, it was really hard for me. I always wanted people to view me as being a strong woman and like I can do it myself, but um, I think I've learned that I think you're just as strong if not stronger for asking for help and allowing people in your life to help you and and to accept their generosity and kindness. Yeah. I've touched on this before on other episodes. We think that by not accepting the service, we're not burdening people, but I think when people offer to help, they really want to help you. And so letting mm-hmm. them help you allows you to have a closer bond to them. Your mom told me, oh, Talisa isn't doing that well. I'm like, well, we live super close. I'll bring her a meal. But if you would have said no, then I probably would have never met you. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, so true. And so I feel like it formed a friendship because you're vulnerable enough to say, yes, come. Yeah, that would be great. Yeah. And the disservice we do to ourselves by trying to pretend that we don't need anybody is like not worth it. Because like you said, if I wasn't open to your kindness and your generosity, like that's a friendship lost. And, and, you know, and and a friendship or the strengthening or deepening of a relationship. My brother came out and flew out as soon as he heard I was struggling taking, picking up my phone, things like that. Like allowing yourself to, accept service so that you can deepen those relationships or create relationships is so worth it and it's worth being vulnerable yeah i love that we kind of talked about yesterday how your life kind of had to line up this for you to be able to do this for your mom there's like a lot of things that kind of had to culminate in order for you to be in the right place at the right time to be able to do that Can you tell us a little bit about how you feel? This goes back to kind of the message that I've had for my younger self and enjoying the journey and trusting the process. I think where I am at in life as a 35-year-old single woman, I didn't think I'd be here. I think like culturally there's all these expectations and these checks check boxes that I thought that I was supposed to be completing. And I would admit to you that like I think at some point in my life and maybe even some days still you wonder like am I doing what am I what am I failing at like why is it not lining up the way that it should and then experiences like this make me realize that everything has lined up and I am in a position in my life where my job my company the company that I work for was so so willing and accepting of my decision to donate they were able to they had a whole organ donation policy built into the to the company where they were able to give me time off paid time off so it was like that was heaven sent the fact that I am single right now I think sometimes in my life I think <laughs> this stinks but it couldn't have been a better position that I was in right now where I was able to I didn't have dependence to like that I had to take I didn't have kids that I had to take care of or I didn't have other people relying on me and so even though Maybe it's not where I thought I was going to be at this point in my life. I think that it also allowed me to be a lot more flexible with, you know, being able to go out and donate and to recover. There's just like a lot of things. My health, the way that like I had been preparing to, you know, get my my health in order uh, allowed me to be a good candidate. You know, I may have had to do a little bit more work, but I think everything just really aligned and allowed me to reflect on kind of maybe the challenges that I've had in the past and realize that maybe this is why I am where I am so that I could be in the position to be able to, to donate my kidney. I love that. And I think none of our lives really always are how we picture I think we we think things will go a certain way and I think we picture whether it's, you know, the way our families are or aren't or, you know, different things. And, but I think it's, when we have a little more perspective, we realize it all happened the way that it was supposed to. And 
you learn more from those experiences and maybe not necessarily getting it exactly how you want it when you want it that like when it ends up working that <laughs> you really appreciate it all the more it all makes sense yeah exactly yeah. So I guess that's a good, you know, talking to your, your younger self of, Hey, I know you're frustrated that things aren't working out and, you know, right now, but. And I think a lot of times, you know, you always hear people's stories like, oh, and then you just, it all made sense. And I always thought like, and even until this experience, I don't know if I fully put all the pieces together to realize like, you know, I am in a great position or I was put in a position to be able to be that candidate to, to donate, you know? And so yeah. it's nice to be able to reflect and look back and to your point, to my younger self, like trust the process, like yeah, just stay true and um, it'll be worth it in the end. Yeah. So how has your love for your mom deepened by doing this? It's a hard question, I think. Um, or has it? <laughs> <laughs> Pass. <laughs> Just kidding. How's my love deepened for my mom? I think that the whole process, sometimes I still struggle with, dare I say, the praise that I get for doing this. I know the gratitude that my mom has for me by doing this act, I guess. And so I guess just the relationship has brought us a lot closer whether it's going through this process together struggling or just like even succeeding you know have getting gaining our appetites back or it's just the little wins that i think have brought us a lot closer and have allowed us to just see each other or at least brace our relationships on a a different level yeah well and as i think of my relationship with my kids you know, right now I have, my kids are young and so it's very me serving them. (laughs) And obviously like they do nice things and write me little cards and, you know, usually rip them up. But you know, they do nice things for me. And, but I think, you know, parents a lot of times are giving so much for their kids. And this is such a huge way for you to really give to your mom in a way that no one else in your family was quite able to do. And I know that it's hard for you to receive that praise, but I think of the recovery process and how hard it's been for you. And and even though it didn't take you a long time to make the decision, it's still a big sacrifice yeah. on your body and, and your life. You kind of have had to put your life on hold for the last six weeks and you're not really 100% yeah. recovered. You know, you're working partly right are you yeah right? I'm working yeah right? but just even like the little things like I still I can't run can't lift weights you know it's like picking up a case of water is really difficult yeah <laughs> so but you're right yeah it's still in recovery and anyways but well I think you're really incredible so <laughs> my last question for you is my my typical question I ask everybody if you could go back in time and give yourself advice to your younger self where would you go and what would you say? I would go, I'd go to my high school Talise and tell her to just be confident in yourself and be kind to others because you never know who needs that kindness and it will always come back and the kindness will return when you need it the most too. Be confident in who you are and stand up for what you believe in. You'll win at life. And I think you're totally winning. (laughs) So, well, thanks so much. Thank you. Thanks again for tuning in to Letters to My Younger Self. This is Liz Gardner. Hope you all have a wonderful week and stay safe from the virus.